past this church as a teenager 48 years ago on my way to Lake Central. I played a lot of sports for Lake Central, and I ran by this church. I've seen it for a long time, so all but 15 years or 14 years of your existence, uh, I've known about you. Never in my wildest dreams as I ran past this church as one who was lost in sin, uh, and I was definitely lost in sin as a teenager, would I have ever dreamed of being here preaching to you on a Sunday morning. It's remarkable. I um, also want to thank Lake Hills Baptist Church on behalf of all of us that minister in the Black Oak neighborhood of Gary, Indiana, because you dear folks have partnered with us and supported us in the Christian ministry in that neighborhood for many years, uh, for over a couple decades. Really appreciate that. My heart goes out to Pastor Phil. I am glad that you are back and that you're here um, ministering once again to this flock that God has called you to minister to. You're a comfort to us, myself included. Glad you are back. Um, my heart goes out to the Van Vieren family. I, um, you know, I taught their kids, all but one of them. I think they had four at the time when they were uh, taking martial art classes in Black Oak. I taught martial arts there for 20-something uh, years, and David and his wife, Laurel, would bring the kids over, and I had a chance to minister to them. And uh, I just learned about David's de departure here as I entered into the building just minutes ago. And uh, my heart goes out to their family, the Pratt family, and there was another one that was mentioned as well. I want to tell you I really appreciate that Pastor Phil is entrusting this pulpit to me this morning. That's a big thing. That's, th that's definitely no small thing. I'm in the Reformed tradition within the Christian faith, and uh, you're in the Baptist uh, tradition. That's a big thing to allow someone uh, to come in and bring a message. I'm going to bring a message that's uh, got mission components, but I want to tell you and just reassure you this morning, what I'm going to preach this morning is Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. Thank you for those songs that uh, were sung this morning. Dear ones, let's turn to uh, Scripture now, and I'm going to read from two passages of Scripture. You know, I was going to, I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. It is very close to the New King James, but I'm going to read from the ESV. I'm going to read from the Bible that I use, you know, all the time. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20. Hear now the living, eternal word of the living God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Turning now to Ephesians chapter 2. So turn to your right there a bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Continuing on now with the word of the Lord. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, almighty God, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of the exaltation of Christ, for the sake of those souls who may be here this morning or who may be watching, uh, who have not yet entered into a saving faith with Jesus. Lord, for the sake of your kingdom and the advance of the gospel, pray, Lord, that your spirit works through your messenger and that your words are applied to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this message is Reconciliation. At the beginning of all creation, Adam and Eve were given a choice. They could love God back, they could obey him. There weren't many rules at that time, just one, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan tempted them. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and that if she ate of it, that she would become wise. She would have knowledge according to what Satan was saying, that she would have knowledge akin to God, like unto God, thereby implying that the stewardship that Adam and Eve had over all of creation, they were given stewardship to care for all that God had made, but now it could be done autonomously. They wouldn't have to submit to God because they themselves had become as wise as God. And in this audacious uh, attitude, God had to send them out of his presence, from his presence, out of the garden. And separation began for humankind. And because of that separation from God, it turned that humans made in the image of God became deformed defiled and deformed. Every inclination of their heart became evil all the time. Their ways were not God's ways, and their heart was not like his heart anymore. Separation, guilt, and a barrier. 
And because the inclination of the heart was evil all the time, God determined that he had to wipe out his image bearers from the face of the earth. But he found a man who was righteous, Noah. He had a family. So God saved eight people through the flood, brought them out on the other side. And God then, through Noah, began to populate the earth once again. But there rose up from humanity a man, a great warrior by the name of Nimrod. He talked to the people of the earth and he said, let's gather together and let's build this place that we call Babel. We'll build it to heaven. And they began to take earth, bricks made of earth and clay, and began to build this mighty work unto heaven, thereby implying that we together as humanity can work together and we can carve out our own empire, our own destiny, our own fate, and we do not need God. We can bypass God in so doing. And God looked upon this and he was not pleased and he said, it's not going to happen. So he said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, confuse their language and they were confused. And what transpired was the division of nations. People scattered all over the earth, unable to communicate with each other because God said there is no unity movement that's going to happen on that basis. Secular humanism. Division. And it was impossible to come back to God for any human being. The separation was so great. And the reconciliation of humans to one another, nations to one another, became nigh unto impossible. But who can reconcile us to God? It was impossible with man, but with God all things were possible. The one that can reconcile us to God and bring us back into that relationship that was destroyed. And the one who can bring humanity back together crossing over all those barriers is Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man. When I was in ninth grade, I became keenly aware of sin in my life, became ashamed of the sin in my life. I thought I had a relationship with God, but I was keenly aware of guilt in my life and a barrier that existed between myself and and God, there was a separation, and I couldn't break through. I couldn't break through the barrier of guilt. I couldn't get rid of the sin that I became so keenly aware of in my heart and my soul. I was a restless freshman in high school in Iowa. I wanted God. I wanted to get back to some relationship with God, and I couldn't do it. We moved to this area here, my family did, living here in Cherville Heights just down the road, as I said. And in my restlessness, it was about my junior year in high school, some Baptists came to the front step, knocked on the door, I answered the door, and they addressed me, and the gist of it was this. If you were to die today, do you know whether or not you would go to heaven or to hell? I listened to the couple, young men who were sharing the gospel with me. They did the best they could, and I'm sure all of their words were good, and right, but the thrust of the presentation was going to heaven or going to hell. Yes, I would like to go to heaven, but I have to confess that even at that time, the impression was what I really wanted was God. I knew in my mind and in my heart, if I had God, I would have heaven too. But I listened to the presentation. 
I'm not sure of all the words. Surely Jesus Christ was in the midst of it. It may have been even to invite Jesus into my heart so that I could go to heaven. And I prayed with this couple the prayer, the sinner's prayer. And then they were gone. And it was not long after that I felt that I was even deeper into sin than I was before. Was there something wrong with what they said? No. No. But I was missing. I was missing Jesus somehow. Later on in my junior year, I had a teenager from Lake Central High School invite me to her church. It was a Lutheran church. So I went to the Lutheran church here in Cherville. And there I took catechism classes from Martin Luther's uh, smaller catechism, learning all kinds of great truths about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God and about the Trinity. And then I was examined and I passed the test with flying colors. I was getting all the answers right. And then I made on a Sunday my public profession of faith, professing my faith to the congregation Then I was admitted into membership. Shortly after that, after that good feeling of becoming a member at the church, I felt, I felt even deeper into sin than I had ever been before. And I was so troubled that I couldn't get rid of this sin. And I could still feel the barrier was there. The guilt was there. The shame was there. And I wanted God. And I was restless. The age of 24, by then my wife and I, Pam and I, were living in Arlington Heights, and I was troubled. I, I, I was doubting that Christianity was working, and uh, my understanding of Jesus was totally askewed. I didn't believe that he could be the son of God anymore. And I, I went to a martial arts school looking for discipline, looking to get stronger mentally and physically, and hoping that not only as I was getting stronger and tougher as a, as a man, that I would also find the discipline to be able to defeat sin. I had trained there for three years, and I was getting stronger and faster, more mentally tough. He was a very tough instructor, Mr. Hong Kei Yang from Korea. But I was growing deeper into sin. The more I was getting strong and disciplined physically, the more it was obvious I had no control over the sin in my life. And the guilt was there, and the barrier was there, and there was no reconciliation with God. I was close to not despairing of life, but despairing of the fact that it's impossible for a man to ever be in any other kind of condition that I was in. But three years into training, Mr. Young, while we were kneeling at the end of class one day, in a straight line, a huge class that we had at the Chicago Mudo Center in Des Plaines near O'Hare Airport, Mr. Young went to his desk and he brought out a black book and he came and he knelt in front of us while we were all in one line kneeling, practicing breathing control. Uh, not in a strange way. It was not yoga or anything else like that, just concentration. But So he kneels in front of us like he always did. But this time he had that black book and he opened it up and he laid it on the ground on the mat right in front of him. And he asked us if he could read to us. And his English was very, very poor. But he began to try to read from what we understood quickly was a Bible. Mr. Young had become a Christian. When I had started classes there three years prior to this episode, he was a Buddhist. But there was a man in the class from the Dominican Republic, a professor at uh, the University of Chicago, or one of the uh, uh, universities in Chicago, from the Dominican Republic, 
and he had been sharing Christ with Mr. Hong Ko Hyun. And a year prior to this event of him opening up this Bible, he had become a Christian, and the Dominican Republic professor had been discipling Mr. Hong Ko took him a year to work up the courage to share his faith with the class, but on that day, he did. It was the very first time ever. And there, this strong, physically strong, muscular man, tremendous concentration and mental toughness, and uh, was not attracted to material things, was so serious. He began to read, and he was blinking as he was reading, and he looked up and he quit trying to read. He was reading from the book of Mark, He didn't get very far. He just looked up at us, and he said, Jesus loves you. Now that floored me. That floored me. In that setting, with all these tough people, there for probably mostly macho reasons, wanting to be Bruce Lee or whatever, Jesus loves you from this strong Korean man. It was at a place in my life where I was ready to give up that there was any way that I could change the condition of my heart. When he said that, I don't know, I might have heard that phrase before, but on that day, I can only attribute it to the Holy Spirit. God had been preparing my heart in all of my helplessness to show me that there's nothing you can do. It's my mercy. It's my grace. And in your childlike helplessness now, now look at me. And I did. I saw Jesus. Jesus. Are you really there? Are you really alive? I went home. Mr. Young told us all to read the book of Mark, and I read it through three times without stopping when I got home. And for the first time, the Bible was the living word. Won't get into that today, the experience of the word being alive and active, but it was. And I got by my bed shortly after that. I don't know if it was that night or shortly after. And then I, in the last clinging hope that I had, got on my knees by my bed all alone, And I said a prayer that was almost as feeble as Mr. Young's gospel presentation. And here's all I said, folks. Jesus, Lord Jesus, if you can, save me from my sins. Lord Jesus, if you can, save me from my sins. I had never talked to Jesus before. Definitely had never called him Lord. And he could, and he did. He saved me that day from my sin. As I was kneeling there, I knew that I had been forgiven. I knew that my relationship had just begun with God, the one that I longed for so, so much. The restlessness was gone. There was peace in my heart. Augustine, long ago, the, the, uh, the greatest theologian perhaps since Paul, had it right. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. On that day, while I was kneeling by my bed at the age of 27, I had found peace and rest. And Jesus as I found out later, had it been inviting me to that, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But here's what I also discovered on my knees that day. I continued praying long into the night, 
Because when I said, Lord Jesus, if you can, save me from my sin, I wasn't looking just to have my sins forgiven. I wasn't looking just to have cleansing from my sin. I had all that for sure. But I wanted the power of sin broken in my life. I didn't want to be a slave of sin any longer. For me, if I'm going to have salvation with you, Jesus, for me, the way I understood it, if I'm really going to have heaven, I had to have the power of sin broken, that I no longer would be a slave to sin, but I would be a slave to God, to slave to righteousness, a slave to being able, to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, although I didn't use that kind of language, but with Jesus helping me to have a victorious life over sin, and I found it that day, the power of sin was broken. I'm not saying here this morning as I'm preaching to you and sharing with you that I don't ever sin, but I'm not a slave to it any longer. How can that be? What had happened? New creation. That's what we just saw in our passage, right? If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, I was experiencing in my soul, I couldn't put it into words because I didn't have biblical language to go with it on that day when I knew that the power of sin was broken in me. And I had an addiction, and it was broken. But here's what I found out later on, and this is the truth, one of the truths I want to share this morning because I really want us to see Jesus this morning. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives within me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old John Hoffmaster died. I was crucified with him. That old person was put to death. I was raised with Jesus Christ to a new life. I had to learn what that all meant and how to live it out, but it was a reality. How is it that the power of sin was broken? Because the old person was put to death. I've been raised with Jesus to a new life. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Finally, as I was rising up from my knees, I had another powerful, powerful experience, and that was that I was loved. Loved by God. I experienced his love. No barrier of shame, no barrier of guilt. I was experiencing his love in my heart. It's the most precious experience that exists, this relationship of love with God. I didn't have the language to say it at the time, but here's what happened. God had poured out his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. Christ is in me. And God is in Christ. And our passage said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, including all of us. God is in Christ. Christ is in God. Christ has been received and dwells within the spirit of Christ to all who receive him, to all who believe into his name. We gave the right to become children of God. I was a child of God. I was a beloved child of God. I was loved by God, God was in Christ reconciling me to himself and I was loved. Reconciliation, reconciliation. All glory be to God for his mercy, 
so the time came for me to preach. Mercy had been shown me. Now it was my turn to show mercy. But I want to pause and here for a moment. I want to just fine-tune something here right now as I have your attention. And it's that we're clearly seeing Jesus, that it comes to the time to preach Jesus, and that we're clearly presenting Jesus, directing people's attention to Jesus. Let me share some theological things here before I move on. I think this is very important. You know, in my ministry, I've <laughs> it was kind of funny when I had a martial arts student, and uh, her mother was Pentecostal. We could speak in tongues. She always thought that I was really a nice guy, but she never was convinced that I was a Christian because I couldn't speak in tongues. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, she respected me, but just didn't think I was a Christian. And, but she would still let me teach her daughter in martial arts. Well, one day her daughter ran off and took off with a truck driver and just disappeared, left the family as a teenager, and she was gone. Now, the mom was still very hopeful in the midst of all that, that her daughter was okay, that she was, uh, that Jesus will hold on to her and keep her, and perhaps so. Maybe she did know the Lord. But here's what her confidence was, that her daughter was okay. And you know what it was? Because her daughter could speak in tongues. So there are a lot of ways that we can subtly shift off of our confidence and our trust being in Jesus Christ. It could be even saying the sinner's prayer, that your, your trust is in that prayer. I said the prayer. I speak in tongues. I'm in the Reformed tradition. One day I had an elderly lady. She came to me, wanted to talk to me privately, so she made some coffee for me. I visited her. She was troubled because her oldest son had become an alcoholic and for years had left the church, wanted nothing to do with the church, wanted nothing to do at all with the church. She was very troubled for her older son, wanted me to pray for them, and she asked me this question. She said to me, John, do you believe in the covenant? What is the covenant? You know, in covenant community and reformed church or baptized you're is an infant you're brought into the covenant community you're raised up in the covenant community that we call the church god is a covenant keeping god she wanted to know if i believe in the covenant the implication was is he okay because he is a covenant child she said edith i don't believe in the covenant i believe that the covenant teaching is good stuff good stuff but I believe in Jesus. We've been called to trust Jesus, put our faith in Jesus. That's where the life is. I want to say something. This is what the Bible plainly say, says. It says that eternal life is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. Now listen to these words that you've probably heard many times. This is found in 1 John. Here's how it goes in 1 John. This is the verdict. God has given us eternal life, and that life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have eternal life. Don't miss that. Eternal life isn't some abstract thing that God gives you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will live forever, for sure. What, what the Bible is saying, what the Apostle John is saying, that God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, gives you Jesus. And the eternal life is in him. In fact, in 1 John, it says 
this is what we witness about. That the eternal life was with the Father in the beginning, and that eternal life was made manifest to us, and we touched him, we handled him, we saw him, we heard him. Eternal life is a person. He will give you the condition of long, eternal, everlasting life. But what Jesus has come is to give himself. One of the favorite verses for so many of us in here is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, or only begotten Son. And that whoever believes, you know what the Greek word says? It's not in him. Whoever believes in him. The Greek word for in most of the time is a word called en, that preposition. But that's not what John uses 34 times in the book of John when he talks about believing in Jesus Christ. You know what word he uses? Into. It's a Greek word. It's ace. You can look it up You can after the service is over and have fun Googling it. Whoever believes into him. Do you see there's an intimacy, a union that goes on with our faith in Jesus Christ because the eternal life is in him. It's in Christ. When you're sharing the gospel, sometimes you'll use a Roman's road. You'll say something like, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Where is that eternal life? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see where we're going with this? I was hearing things that were good in catechism classes. I, the, the young Baptists who were sharing the gospel on my front doorstep, they weren't saying anything wrong, but my eyes were missing it. I wasn't seeing Jesus. I was seeing many things about Jesus or things wrapped around him. That's my question for you today. If I was a Baptist preacher here, I'd definitely be doing an altar call at the end of this service. My appeal to you right now is are you seeing Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord? Not in the traditions. Martha. We have funerals right, recently, right? Martha. She comes to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that my brother will live again. Yes, Martha, your brother will live again. She says, he will live again at the resurrection at that last day. He's going to live again at the resurrection of the last day. For Martha, when she thinks of resurrection, she thinks about an event. It's going to happen. There is an event. going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Yes, there is an event coming. But here's what Jesus did when he's standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with her, and she's a little irritated at him that he didn't arrive there to raise Lazarus from the dead and get there on time. And she said, I know he's going to be there alive on the last day, but the implication is if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And here's what Jesus said to her. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? When you think of the resurrection, do you think of an event or do you think of Jesus? Do you see where I'm going with this? If you want the resurrection on the last day to fall in your favor, you'll have to have the resurrection now in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Philip says to Jesus, we don't know you're going to the Father. We don't know where you're going. Just, you know, show us the Father. The only one says, hey, we don't know uh, where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus goes, I am the way. See, Jesus isn't going to show us a path to heaven, reconciliation with God. He's going to show you himself. The way is himself. It's Jesus. God is so merciful. He's been merciful to you. He's been merciful to me. And then he's called us in that mercy. How can we not be part of the, mer the mercy ministry, becoming ministers of reconciliation, telling others about Jesus Christ? Telling others about Jesus Christ. Years passed. I became a third-degree black belt. M my wife and I sold our property in Arlington Heights, sold our, our home in Arlington Heights, sold our property near the Barrington area. We bought our home here in Cherville, where we grew up in this area. Found a ministry. I wanted to serve in a tough neighborhood, Gary, Indiana. Now, over 31 years, the old Firehouse Community Center, which you've been supporting, has been in existence been pastoring a church there in Black Oak all these years. The time came for me to be merciful because God had shown mercy to me. He had rescued this poor, wretched sinner. And so I was there in Black Oak ministering. It was a tough neighborhood. Bought a building. The people didn't want us in the neighborhood at first. I was an outsider. Um, we faced bullets through the front door, graffiti. Um, got burned down twice. Firebomb the first time. Second one, we don't know how it got set on fire in those early stages. It was tough, tough ministry. We continued on. In time, the neighborhood grew to really respect the old firehouse ministry. I wanted to share Christ. I wanted to share Christ among the poor. And I wanted to work in a way that God would help uh, to break down these barriers that exist between black people, white people, and Hispanics. Les Miserables, the poor, To Kill a Mockingbird, the black and the white, Lord of the Rings, good against evil, light against darkness, <laughs> Black Oak, Gary, Indiana, the old firehouse. You're part of that ministry. I'm talking to partners in that. Ministers of reconciliation, preaching Jesus. Many ministries going on there. The Van Buren family was there. By the time I was done, before I took on, the, or just as I was taking on the pastoral role, just speaking just of the martial arts alone, let alone all the other things that we did at the old firehouse, reaching into that community, I personally uh, taught 1,300 students there, most of them from the neighborhood, most of them poor, most of them from, you know, hurting families. A lot of them didn't have the money to afford typical martial art lessons, which at the, in those days were $60 a month. We only charged $5 a month. They could take as many classes as they wanted. If you were going to be a black belt, you had to take four classes a week. 1,300 students sharing Christ all the time in that setting. Every single class, every single class over those 20-something years, the Bible would be open at the end. A passage of Scripture would be read, a little devotion would be shared, and a prayer was offered for the people. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And from time to time, the offer for people to give their lives to Christ. Over 5,500 lessons. Ministries of reconciliation. You have a ministry, the Awana program, VBS, 
the, re the reach that you have into this community. Pastor Adam with the community center, praise the Lord. Just keep right on going. Do you realize how weak that gospel presentation was with Mr. Young? Do you know how bold that was? He, Jesus loves you. I got a text this week from somebody, that, grandmother of kids that are at Calumet Christian. Apparently, the gospel was shared with the kids there. Twenty-somethings gave their lives to Christ. And I get this text this week. Ministers of reconciliation. Finally, as I close this message, Ministers of reconciliation with God. There's so much division and darkness in the world right now. Satan, ultimately, it's not conspiracy theory. It's just reality. Satan is behind it. The prince of darkness is behind it. Satan is looking for a unity, but it is a selfish, chaotic unity. It's a kind of unity that has everybody getting along with one another, loving one another on their terms, Accepting all value systems, all truth systems, and everyone doing what is, own, what is right in their own eyes, in their selfishness. Accepting one another. Accepting everything in this unity under Satan's godless, corrupt, chaotic rule. And bypassing God. His rule. His authority. Accepting one another. Accepting everything but the church with Christ at its head because we speak of an absolute authority. We speak of Jesus Christ as the ultimate Lord. We speak of one who has given us a standard by which to live and that standard is God's standard and that standard is God's character. We say his character, his value system, his kingdom value system is what we live by. And we stand opposed to Satan and there's division all over the place and darkness and anger bypassing God and the social media feeds it the social media will tell you what to do and guide you and instruct you on how society can be healthy and can make progress it has become the Bible for so many and God says no no I am about unity but it's going to be on my terms it's a unity that is in Christ. At the Chicago Muda Center where I came to know Jesus Christ, we had Koreans and Mexicans and Dominican Republic man and a hodgepodge of us that had come to know Jesus Christ and we became bonded together. Strange unity. We were alive together in Christ. The black and white issues today are very difficult, but they're nothing compared to the black and white or the... Uh, the, the issues that in that early church where I just read to you about just a little bit ago, the issues, the division that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. For the Jews, the Gentiles, the nations were the uncircumcised dogs. What had happened? What had happened to bring them together? What happened was the cross. The cross. They had become one in Christ. They had become one body. What had happened? God had done a mysterious, mighty work by the power of the cross, the barriers of hostility that existed from nation to nation and nations with Israel was brought down and those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ had become one body, reconciled to one another and together in that one body, reconciled to God. And they were learning to love one another. And then here's what Paul 
said, and this is how important, as I leave this message to you, don't miss this. This great mystery of how people can come together and become reconciled and together be reconciled to God is meant to be expressed. People have to see it, but how is it supposed to be expressed? And here's what Paul said in Ephesians 3. This mystery of this reconciliation is meant to be expressed in the church. We're on display. A few months ago, I had a black pastor friend of a church in Gary, Indiana, Missionary Baptist Church. He invited me to come and preach at his church. I went. I preached. If my wife was there, I preached. The pastor told me just before I was going to preach, he said to me, John, we don't ever remember a white person preaching in this church. Two months later, his entire church came to our church, which was almost all white, and their entire church came to our church at Beacon Light Community Church, and they worshiped with us. He brought the message. Their praise team helped lead the worship. On Wednesday of this week, I'll be praying with some folks from Assembly of God Church, some folks from a missionary church, some folks who have Baptist backgrounds, and together we'll be praying. We do once a month. We call it In Christ United. I appreciate that you've given me the opportunity to preach here today. Somebody from the Reformed tradition preaching behind the pulpit of a Baptist church. Jesus Christ prayer. Father, let them be one. I and them, you and me. Let them be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that you have sent them and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity is part of our evangelism, part of our witness, part of our display that Jesus is the one that indeed saves and brings us to God, our unity. I want to close with a prayer. This prayer you know. Most of the time you know it, but you don't know where it's located in the Bible. Paul wants to pray that they would understand and know God's love more deeply. Do you know where he put that prayer? He put it right after he told them about this mystery of these people divided who come together as one in Christ and living it out in the church. He knows they're going to need help. And so here's what he prays. He said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and deep and wide and long is the love of Christ. And to know this love that passes all understanding so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the reconciliation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Almighty God, we'll never be able to thank you enough. God, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to know Jesus better. And as we know him better, help us to proclaim him clearly so that others are seeing Jesus when we share his name. We pray this in his name. Amen.